Welcome to Upstream Downstream, a lively civil discussion devoted to the political, policy, and cultural topics that often divide us. Upstream Downstream is presented by the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications at Shepherd University in cooperation with WSHC-FM and the Listen, Learn, Engage initiative. Here's your host, David Welch. Welcome to Upstream Downstream. Following the 2020 census, the population of West Virginia fell by more than 100,000 people, a 3% decrease from the 2010 census. As a result, West Virginia, which has had three seats in the House of Representatives since 1992, will be losing one of its congressional seats. The state legislature is responsible for redrawing the districts. Throughout the summer of 2021, there have been a series of public hearings to find out where the people of West Virginia want these new lines drawn. Also, over the summer, the Stubblefield Institute's Community Engagement Committee sponsored a forum on what redistricting is and what it could potentially look like for West Virginia. Among the panelists was Dr. Kenneth Martis, a professor emeritus in the Department of Geology and Geography at West Virginia University. He begins the conversation by discussing the history of redistricting. So we're going to talk about congressional legislative redistricting. Let me give a little history of the panhandle and our district of recent history. But of course, redistricting is the drawing of legally defined and limited geographic areas in which all qualified voters have the right to select representatives. So it's geography, which happens to be my discipline. So if we have ward boundaries in the city or county commissioner boundaries in a state like Florida, uh, they are lifted by districts and it's a very, very important uh, uh, boundary, important area. And of course, the more familiar state house and state senate districts in all states and U.S. House of Representative districts. So uh, our representation thing is a geographic representation in a sense. For most of American history, not all of American history, uh, the House of Representatives has been from single member districts. And for most of American history, it's one election, one time, one vote majority or plurality winner. So if there happens to be a third party candidate, which there happens to be many times in American history, uh, the winning candidate may not have uh, a majority, but that's the basic system that's been held at least in the US House of Representatives. But again, that's the system now has not quite been that way for all of American history. So how are these districts drawn? It's basically a regular law passed by state legislatures. So historically, and in, in, in our current uh, press release from our, uh, the members of leaders of the, of the legislature, uh, it's going to be a joint committee, but the joint committee will uh, propose something in the state of West Virginia. The, it will pass the state legislature, the House of Delegates. It will go to the Senate. It will be passed the Senate and signed by the governor, just like every other law. And so that's the way districting laws have been done uh, almost throughout American history. But in recent years, there's been a new system and a new desire, another look at democracy, and it could be called the future. That is having a what is called a nonpartisan independent citizens electoral commission draw the maps. And we're going to talk about what that is and what states have done so far uh, a little bit later. Every so often, when a state's population is shifted, it needs to redraw its districts. Dr. Martis points out how some people on both sides of the aisle can take advantage of the opportunity. 
And so if uh, we have the ability in the states to draw congressional and state legislative districts, there is uh, what I call possibilities of mischief. And this is called gerrymandering. Gerrymandering is the drawing of legislative voting district boundaries in such a way to favor a certain party or group. And I've written an, a journal article about the first gerrymander and how gerrymanders came about. But the term was first used in the newspaper, Boston Gazette, on Thursday, March 26, 1812. It's very rare in the English language where you can say, this word appeared at this date and this place and time. Usually it, the English words go way back and we think it occurred at this particular time. So what is a gerrymander? The short story of this is that the Federalist Party had control of New England almost entirely since the beginning of the country. There was the 1810 census and the Jeffersonian Party actually took charge of the state of Massachusetts uh, just after the 1810 census. And it was up to the Jeffersonian Party for the first time ever in history to redistrict the state, uh, both congressional. And this cartoon appeared with, with the word for the first time and as the old saying goes, this monster, as they say in the editorial, the monster looked like a salamander. And then someone said, let's say it's really a gerrymander. After Governor Elbridge Gerry, who was the first uh, Jeffersonian governor of the state of Massachusetts, who signed the law that made this funny little district, it was happened to be a, a, a state senatorial district. So that's where the word comes from. It actually comes from a, a real individual, the governor of Massachusetts. Although legislators have been carving states into bizarre districts since the 1800s, Dr. Martis discusses the different kinds of gerrymandering that have evolved over time and how they're used to control minority groups. Now, there's all kinds of gerrymanderings. There can be racial gerrymanderings, political gerrymanderings. And I use this example of a racial gerrymandering uh, from the uh, 60s in the South. There was very little gerrymandering in the South prior to the Voting Rights Act in the 1960s because African-Americans basically could not vote or voted a very small amount. And uh, this is an example of Hines County, uh, city of Jackson. And they had five county commissioners to be elected in the county. And here is the city of Jackson. And within the city of Jackson, we had the African-American community, very segregated. And so uh, who, how are we going to draw these lines to make sure that African-Americans do not elect an African-American uh, commissioner, even though they may be 20, 30, 40% of the population? Gerrymandering. The lines that go through cutting in five nice slices, the African-American community in the city and and then extending them into the rural area. This is called a racial gerrymandering. By the way, the Supreme Court has only ruled twice on redistricting, as, 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 and we're going to see the most current law that did not rule, but they have ruled that racial gerrymandering is unconstitutional, although there's plenty of litigation going on even in this last decade. And they have ruled that uh, the other thing about redistricting, that districts must be somewhat equal in population. So those are pretty hard and fast rules that the uh, Supreme Court has ruled on. The requirements for redistricting also include that they be compact. However, anyone looking at the districts in West Virginia can see that our second congressional district stretches clear across the state. 
Dr. Martis continues with how this came to be when West Virginia dropped from four congressional districts to three in the early 1990s. So let's get to West Virginia. I'm going to talk about an extremely interesting thing that happened in our state. Someday I'm going to write an article about it. Uh, West Virginia Congressional Redistricting, and I'm going to give a background to the current second congressional district. In 1990, census reduced the U.S. House delegation from West Virginia to four to three. The governor, the state Senate, House of Delegates, and four members of the House were all Democrats. So we had four incumbent Democrats, and we're going to have three districts. Something has to give. Very similar to what I'm going to talk about at the end here of what's facing this state today. And some of the older people in the audience may uh, remember Hardy Staggers Jr., uh, his, his father, a long-term West Virginia congressman, representing down here in the Southern West Virginia, Nick Joe Rahal in the 4th District. Bob Wise was a member of Congress in 1990. He is from Kanawha County. Alan Malahan from my neighboring county of uh, Marion County here. And Here's Harley Stagger's home in Mineral County. So what happened is that the power structure in the Democratic Party got together and said, there has to be one odd man out, and we know who it is. It's going to be Harley Stagger's. And so the new lines are going to be drawn. And this is what's very rare to talk about this in, in, in uh, political geography intra-party gerrymander, when one party controls the entire redistricting process and purposely redraws a legislative district to eliminate one of their own party members from likely election. And one of the great examples in American history was Harley Staggers in 1992. And uh, there's a very strong evidence that Republican Allen West in Florida was redistricted out by his own party back in 2012. So here we have the new first district where Alan Mollenhan is in the same district with Holly Staggers. And if you remember the old map, this is mostly uh, Mollenhan's old district. So what happened to Holly Staggers' district? Well, his district was basically eliminated and divided by three. And he was put together with Alan Mollenhan, an extremely me a powerful member of the House of Representatives on the Finance Committee. And uh, uh, Mollenhan easily won the primary and then he went to the general election. So this is the, the transition from the four to the three that we have now. And talking about the second district, which covers the Eastern Panhandle, this is why it looks so funny. And, and it was done to purposely in the 1992 uh, redistricting process. And that's what we have basically today. So um, it stretches from Maryland and Virginia across the state of West Virginia to the Ohio River to Ohio. It borders three different states uh, that are non-contiguous states. Uh, so what does the West Virginia uh, Constitution say about this? Quote, representative to Congress for the election of representative Congress to be divided into districts corresponding to the number of representatives which may be entitled, which districts shall be formed in contiguous counties and be compact, my emphasis, and each district shall be equal population. Is the second district compact? That is a real interesting question in ge geography and geometry. So in uh, 2012, 20 years after the district was formed, Jefferson County Commission brought suit 
against Natalie Tennant, who was Secretary of State in charge of elections at the time, saying three things. That the population of the three districts was not equal under court precedent, was not compact under the state constitution, and the population was not equal under state constitution. So it went to court. I was asked to be an expert witness by the three judge panel. And my particular expertise was number two there. Was the district compact in the rules of geography and the rules of geometry? And if you at the end, you want me to talk about what compactness is and throw out all kinds of terms, I will. But I did appear in court down in Charleston and I did um, testify about that, the second district. So on January 4th, 2012, the three judge panel voted that um, they didn't rule on the second and third uh, suits, but they did rule that uh, there was some equal population problem and ordered the state of West Virginia to redistrict. This case then, this is on January 4th, this case uh, then goes to the Supreme Court and about two weeks later, the Supreme Court stayed the lower court's ruling requiring the redrawing of congressional districts. And although they left something open, they said the state could move forward on these new district lines for 2012 of which we have today. So um, that's kind of where our funny second district comes from and we can talk about that later. Despite the laws that work to prevent gerrymandering from happening, it has become more prevalent over the past three decades. Dr. Martis emphasizes this by going into redistricting across the country after the 2010 census. But during the decade, the last decade from last census, gerrymandering has really taken off. This is part for many different reasons. Uh, Computer-generated gerrymandering is, 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 is awesome. Uh, the control of states more and more by one particular party. So let's look at just 2012, just of those districts that were done right after the last census. Uh, Nationalized, the congressional candidates for the Republican Party got about 58 million. The Democrats got uh, a little over 59 and a half million. And so nationally, the, there were more votes for the Democrat congressional candidates. And a lot of this, we have a term called, is it geography or gerrymandering? I mean, there's the geography of voters is somewhat concentrated. You throw in gerrymandering and uh, it's a very complex situation. And at the 2012 election, about 54% of the House was Republican, about 46 Democrat. So let's look at a couple examples of gerrymandering that exist today along the very top of the state of Ohio, the 9th Congressional District. I happen to be from Toledo, Ohio. And my long-term Congresswoman is Marcy Copter, and uh, she's the longest serving woman representative in American history. She's still there today. So she was very popular. Over in Cleveland, 120 miles, was another popular person, Dennis Kucinich, and some of you remember his name. So he was very popular in his home district around Cleveland. Marcy was popular in Toledo. They were both very uh, influential in Congress, influential Democrats. And so the Dem Republican Party said, how do we get rid of them? Well, we'll just put them in the same district, even though they're 120 miles away. So the funny lines here along the state shoreline here over to Dennis Kucinich's house. This is called the snake on the lake. It's one way of getting rid of uh, uh, opponents if you have two good ones. 
Ladies and gentlemen, that's a gerrymander. So some of the statistics here, we'll just use Ohio, about 48% of the vote in the state of Ohio congressional districts goes to the Democratic Party, 52 Republican. Of the 16 seats, the Democrats got four of 16, even though they get about half of the vote. It's similar in Michigan, North Carolina, Wisconsin. These are all incredibly uh, gerrymandered states. And these are Republican gerrymanders. And the Democrats do the same thing. Democrats gerrymander, the Republicans gerrymander, both parties do it. Both parties are wrong. Citizens of goodwill should say, we don't want you to do this anymore. It's un undemocratic. State of Illinois is a great example. Here we had about 55% of the uh, electric vote uh, Democrat. They get 12 of the 18 seats. And Maryland is the classic example. We're gonna get to Governor Hogan in just a second. Maryland's a classic example. About half the Maryland vote is Democrat and they get seven of the eight seats. That's a really good gerrymander. That is really taking away votes from other people. You're listening to Upstream Downstream, sponsored by the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications at Shepherd University and the Listen, Learn, Engage initiative. We are revisiting the introduction to redistricting and gerrymandering given by WVU Professor Emeritus, Dr. Kenneth Martis, who recently participated in a forum sponsored by the Stubblefield Institute's Community Engagement Committee. He continues by discussing both parties' dissatisfaction with the practice of gerrymandering. So here's a great quote. Uh, Partisan gerrymandering has become a tool of powerful interests to distort the democratic process. Sounds very progressive statement. So who made this statement? It was in a legal brief to the Supreme Court by the, a group of Republicans. And I'll just give you a few of the people who signed this. Senator John McCain, Governor Kasich of Ohio, Bob Dole, John Danforth, Richard Luger, real known Republican senators. Uh, Senator Simpson of Wyoming was thought to be one of the most conservative uh, senators in the 20th century, yet he knew right from wrong. And he signed this brief along with Arthur Schwarzenegger and other prominent Republicans. Democrats on their side also uh, had uh, a brief and they also have a thing called the National Democratic Redistricting Commission, which former Attorney General Holder is the chairman. Gerrymandering has broken our democracy. It's time to fix it now, is one of his statements. So what happened? It did go to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court uh, ruled on June 27, 2019, that gerrymandering was and redistricting was a political process. And that I'm going to read you the exact Supreme Court ruling. This is one of the darker days of my career. The voters and other plaintiffs in North Carolina and Maryland filed suits challenging their state's congressional redistricting maps as unconstitutional partisan gerrymanders. The North Carolina plaintiffs claimed the state's redistrict plan discriminated against Democrats, while the Maryland's plaintiffs claimed their state's plan discriminated against Republicans. The plaintiffs alleged violations of the First Amendment equal protection calls. 
the 14th Amendment election clause. District courts in both cases ruled in favor of the plaintiffs and the defendants appealed directly to the Supreme Court. One sentence they held, partisan gerrymandering claims present political questions beyond the reach of the federal courts. So where are we now? We are with the state courts, the state legislature, and citizens. Although the issue of gerrymandering was determined to be out of the hands of the courts, Dr. Martis goes into what he described earlier in his lesson as the future. The rise of nonpartisan commissions taking the power of redistricting away from the majority party. So what's happened in the last 10 years, and actually if you go back a little bit longer, perhaps the last 20 years, the redrawing of United States congressional districts and state legislative district boundaries should be done by a nonpartisan independent citizens commission. Now, is the drawing of legislative districts by the legislature themselves a conflict of interest? So right now we have about 20 different states that have some form of redistricting commission. There's a few very powerful ones are called primary commissions, which actually, um, some of them actually, the commission itself draws the district lines, the legislature and governor have nothing to do about it. That's the law because that's the law that was passed. Other primary commissions submit their maps to the legislature and the governor. And 99% of the time, such as in the state of uh, Iowa, uh, they are accepted. There are backup commissions in case there's states that are split between Republican governor and a Democratic legislature. There are advisory commissions that can uh, advise the legislature and the governor on way to draw states. So this is a relatively new thing in the last 10, 20 years. And what are these commissions? They're independent, bipartisan, nonpartisan. They practice transparency and openness. They actually have meetings. Some states say you must go to these five cities in the states, show them the maps and saying, what do you think of your particular area? They encourage public participation. And I call this the rules of geography, that the district should be compact, contiguous, com uh, combine communities of interest and not split communities of interest, respect political boundaries, and of course, what the Supreme Court says, they have to be equal in population and prohibit minority gerrymandering, whether that's Hispanic, American Indians, or African-American. So the movement in 2018 midterm elections got a tremendous boost where for the largest time or the most time in American history, ballot reform and redistricting and commissions went before four states. Utah and Missouri, somewhat conservative states, Colorado and Michigan, somewhat liberal states. And on the ballot was, shall we have a commission or shall we have a different way of redistricting? It passed every state. Let's look at Colorado. 71% of the people say, this is the way we should redistrict for the future of American democracy. I point out that the Democratic governor at that very same election got 51% of the vote, the commission, the commission got 71% of the vote. That is many Democrats, many Republicans, many independents says this is the right thing to do. And it was that case in most states, Utah is a little different because Mitt Romney was running. Last November, 
Virginia had the same on its ballot. Biden uh, won the uh, state by 54%, yet 65%, well over 65% voted to have a commission. So now we're, we have a commission formed in Virginia and they'll be doing the state and the uh, congressional redistricts. So uh, again, every time it's gone before the citizens to have a commission, the citizens and their wisdom say, yeah, While there is growing support for the use of nonpartisan commissions to control redistricting, we asked Dr. Martis what these commissions actually look like. The commissions uh, are, again, there's 20 different ones. I've read most of the laws. There are different fine nuances of them. They can have the legislative path and legislative services of their legislature service them. If they have a budget, they can have have their own staff. Many state GIS technical centers look at geography expertise and some of the programs that we have for redistricting. HR1, which we'll talk about in a second, talks about consulting firms and having funds for consulting firms. The participation of reform organizations and participations of citizens of all types, many of those who are listening to me today. In the West Virginia legislature, we have bills introduced now to form a commission. So that has been introduced, it is there. The latest thing that's happened, extremely interesting, that uh, Republican Governor um, Larry Hogan of Maryland, for the, I think the first time in American history, has created a commission by executive order. In other words, Governor Justice, it looks like by legal president, could by executive order, Uh, make a commission for the state of West Virginia. We have time. So anyway, uh, Governor Hogan established a commission, very bipartisan, uh, and uh, that's how Maryland's going to do it, apparently. Very, very new and uh, very different thing on the scene literally only a few weeks ago. While some states, like Maryland, are making their own moves to prevent gerrymandering, we asked Dr. Martis if there was anything happening on the federal level. There is HR1, which we now know um, probably is not going to pass the Senate. It passed the House. It is an omnibus bill that has a huge amount of things in it. And what I'd like to propose now that HR1, I've given this talk several times, and now I know HR1 is not going to make it. I propose this to uh, the members of Congress. In HR1, there's Section 2401 which says there should be required congressional districting be conducted through a plan of independent state commission. In other words, this bill doesn't say state legislature has to have a commission. It doesn't say that cities have to have ward commissions throughout the boundary. It just says that that Congress has a a right to control elections. In other words, elections are going to be in November. They're going to be on a Tuesday. They're going to have single districts. With respect to, I, I think it would be tremendous overreach to say that the state has to be fair, but what they're saying in, in HR1 in this particular section is that let's have congressional districts done by a bipartisan commission. And it is, and, and the, the selection of commission members seems to be very bipartisan. So what I propose is that you take section 2401 out of HR1, you pass it in the House of Representatives, you put before the Senate and you say, okay, this gigantic, and it's 886 pages, by the way, this gigantic bill. How about this section of the bill? 
how about doing it the right way, at least for congressional districts, in my opinion. So where we are today is that we have three incumbent uh, Republican members of the House. We have my congressman up here, David McKinley. We have your in the uh, uh, panhandle there, Alex Murphy, and Carol Miller down here in Campbell and Huntington. And we're gonna have two districts and the state of West Virginia is gonna pit two incumbent Republicans against each other. And, and the uh, 1992 story is going to reappear. So I can't wait to the joint committee, which they call it now in their press release, to draw that congressional district lines. You know, our state is going to 100 uh, single member districts in the House of Delegates that did not occur before. There were multi-member districts. Redistricting this time is very important as this is a 10 year uh, item. It's what we do now uh, is gonna be 10 years of American democracy. Let's get it right. In a few weeks, we'll be joined by Dr. Kenneth Bartis a second time to visit the new state legislative and congressional districts of West Virginia. Meanwhile, I wanna thank our producer, Sarah Burke and associate producer, Bianca Eisen. On behalf of the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications at Shepherd University and the Listen, Learn, Engage initiative, I'm David Welch. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Upstream Downstream, presented by the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications at Shepherd University. To learn more about the Stubblefield Institute, other programs such as the Listen, Learn, Engage initiative or the American Conversation series, or to become a friend of the Institute, please go online to stubblefieldinstitute.org.